You're listening to the Charge Forward audio blog by Chargebacks 911, bringing you the latest in payments and fraud. To learn more about how Chargebacks 911 can help you reduce chargebacks and recover revenue lost to fraud, visit us online at chargebacks911.com. This episode is a replay of a webinar entitled Building Better Unboxing and features experts from Chargebacks 911 and Shipmunk. Okay, welcome everyone to the webinar. Um, I'm going to go ahead and get started here, but first I just want to kind of introduce myself. Um, my name is Jared Wright. I'm the VP of Marketing at Chargebacks 911. And um, just for those of you who aren't familiar with Chargebacks 911, we help merchants. So the simplest way to think about it is that we help merchants by identifying and preventing uh, chargebacks before they happen. And then we help merchants to refute illegitimate chargebacks once they do happen um, to recover that revenue. So that's that's basically what we do. And then presenting today is um, I'm gonna mess I'm gonna mess this up. Uh, B Tanese Tanese B Tanese B B B. Why don't you introduce yourself? Why don't you say your name and then tell us a little bit about what Shipmunk does? Because I'm I'm never gonna get it right. <laughs> No worries. I was pretty close. Um, my name is B. I'm the content marketing specialist at Shipmunk. Uh, we are a third-party logistics provider, and we specialize in helping e-commerce companies grow around the world and scale their business through multi-channel order inventory and warehouse management solutions. You can visit us at www.shipmunk.com to learn more. Okay. And then and then just for my uh, edification, what say your last name again. Oh, of course. Uh, it's um, it's Tanese. It's a little tricky. Tanese. But you were pretty close. Cool. That was pretty close. That was good. I mean, eventually, I'll get it. I promise. Yeah, this, no worries. In this webinar. I just muted myself. But before I get started with the actual webinar, I just want to go over how the webinar will be structured so that everybody to sort of set expectations. Um, the first part of the webinar will include a short presentation from myself and from B. Um, this portion of the webinar will be fairly visual, so it's important, you know, if possible, that you kind of close other windows and give us your attention for that part. The second part of the webinar will be a Q&A where we answer many of the questions that were submitted um, uh, when, when you registered. Uh, in this portion, um, we're, it's going to be a lot less visual, so it's okay if you just kind of want to listen to that part. Um, please also feel free, if you have a question during the webinar, um, just go ahead and ask it in the chat. Um, we'll make sure that we answer any question. If not live, then we will definitely uh, um, get get an answer to you after the webinar. Um, for those of you that are interested, this webinar will be available for replay uh, starting tomorrow. You will receive a link in your email. Uh, however, not all of the Q&A uh, will necessarily be included in that recording. So we encourage you to stay with us today to get the maximum value out of this event. Um, lastly, this and other webinars eventually will be released on our in audio form on our podcast. Um, so if you're an audio learner, I encourage you to search Charge Forward, all one word, with Chargebacks 911, however you listen to podcasts. Today's webinar, the, the title is um, is going to be a little bit different than what we do, and it's about thinking outside the box. And I think it's an appropriate title, um, and it's an appropriate idea, and I'm excited to have B here with us today. Um, I think about the topics that we're going to talk about today, primarily through, the, through a chargeback management lens. And many merchants are convinced, you know, when we first start speaking with them, that there's some tool, some magic bullet that is going to solve their chargeback management issues for them without any effort or without them making any changes to, to, the, to, to their existing business model. And um, while there are tools that can do a lot of that legwork and that can really improve um, anyone's chargeback situation, um, those are tools that I've talked a lot about on other webinars. Um, 
there is really no easy fix. Um, and so I'm excited to have B here today because she's gonna talk about some of the things that they have done uh, for clients in the subscription box space that I think can be applied to really all online retailers or really any online business at all. Um, and the basic idea in many ways kind of goes against the grain of how many merchants are thinking about chargeback management. So I think it's appropriate for that reason to, to, to you know, for the title to be thinking outside the box. And, and mainly that's because the hard truth is that delighted customers don't file payment disputes. If you're only thinking about chargeback mitigation as a fraud prevention problem, you're missing some very easy wins. And that's not to say that there aren't gonna be sort of bad customers that no matter what you do, they're gonna try to rip you off or take advantage of the chargeback mechanism. It's just to say that either, <clears throat> that the, the easier solution to many chargeback issues that merchants are facing is investing in the delighting of your customers. Because um, that's gonna have, uh, you, you know, a, a great impact on the reduction of chargebacks if you if you strengthen that relationship with your customers. And then once you do that, you know, once you have all of those low-hanging fruit issues resolved, uh, chargeback management on the remaining chargebacks becomes a much more manageable process because then you really have, you know, it's either clear cases of friendly fraud that are going to be easy for you to, to represent in most cases, or they're going to be um, instances of criminal fraud, in which case, you know, that's, there's, there's a very clear uh, solution and path that, that you go to, to resolve those. Um, the problematic chargebacks are the ones where there's some liability on your part and some liability on the merchant's part. So, so what we encourage merchants to do is to take a posture of, you know, we're going to do everything we can to delight the customer um, because anything, anything short of that is, is going to, you're, you're going to have um, a harder time dealing with the chargeback issues that, you, that you're going to face. Um, and, I, and I think this idea sort of is in line with that. Um, I like this slide because it kind of re, sort of re, reaffirms what I'm talking about. In um, online commerce, we tend to spend a lot of time thinking about pre-sale questions. So we invest a lot in making sure that customers can find our website, that they engage with us, and that they buy our products. Um, and far too often, we underinvest in the post-sale areas. So we, we think about things like customer service and, and what, what our refund and exchange policy is going to be and, and you know, what that process is going to be like um, sort of after the fact. In a lot of cases, we talk to merchants and they really haven't, you know, they're sort of in the early stages and they've got a, a bunch of sales, but they really haven't thought about any of those uh, post-sale issues. Um, and even with larger companies, you know, when one of the things that we do with any customer when we bring them on board is that we audit their systems to identify chargeback liabilities. And now not every single chargeback liability that we identify is going to be something that makes sense for, for that merchant. So that's not to say that, that you should, you know, do things that don't make business sense to what your model is. Um, but there's little things that we find, you know, with big companies, small companies, things like, you know, phone numbers listed on the website that don't work anymore. Um, you know, uh, 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 customer service lines where the menu, there's some glitch in the menu. So 20% of the people that, uh, you know, enter into the menu get get caught in some kind of circular loop. And those are all the type of things that, those are easy fixes. Um, and a lot, I think, of what B's going to talk about today is 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 along in that same vein, in, in, in that there are things that, that you can implement um, in your business that will um, strengthen your relationship with your customer and and really take those you know, easy to prevent chargebacks off the table so that really, really you have a much more manageable uh, situation that you're dealing with. 
Um, and then just to kind of you know talk about this from you know an, an actual example, um, if you look at the emails probably that your company or at least the emails that you're receiving, you know all of the the pre-sale emails they're you know they're designed well, they've got copywriters, they're you know there's there's a lot of creative energy and effort put into those pre-sale emails. But then if you look at the the post-sale emails that you receive or that you send, oftentimes they're just basic text emails. Um, and, and there's there's reason for that, but um, it, it really sort of shows the stark difference in the, the amount of effort and the amount of attention that businesses put in that post-sale experience. Um, and so, re so really today, I, that's why I'm excited to have B here because she's kind of an expert in the, in the post-sale portion and um, she's got some, some great ideas. Um, and then the last point I want to make, this is sort of an irrelevant point, but I think it's, I think it's, it's starting to feel important to me that, um, that we talk about this because I think we're kind of going into the, you know, we, we've had a lot of conversations lately about the new normal, right? So it used to be <clears throat> first, it was like surviving in the pandemic and then it was post pandemic. And now we're, you know, it seems like all the content that, um, everybody's creating, we're, we're doing it around this new normal. And so, so things to a certain extent are kind of reverting back to a, a new normal. So, you know, people are starting to engage more with brick and mortar, they're starting to travel again, all of these things. And and I think I think it's important, I think if, if you just take from, um, if, if, if you sort of compare it to the situation that we had with Amazon. So I don't remember how many years ago specifically, but let's say five years ago, I think is about when it was. Um, you know, when Amazon Prime came out or when it became really popular, it, it created a lot of pressure on the e-commerce retail space. And so merchants, you know, they had to, really think about, okay, well, how are we gonna create um, uh, a system? How can we compete with Amazon? So how are we gonna create faster shipping? How are we gonna create smoother checkout, right? Um, you know, it, Amazon has made you know one button checkout great, but it's not just Amazon anymore, right? I mean, Amazon sort of uh, pioneered that, but everybody else in the e-commerce space really had to adopt a lot of those things. Um, and, and so you know, when I shop now, in a, in a variety of stores online, um, I'm, I'm seeing a, a lot of that sort of sort of benefit is being offered by by everybody else. And that's because of the market pressure that Amazon put. Now, I think that there's a similar if 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 you're smart and you're in the retail space, you can you can think about COVID as applying a similar pressure. But instead of you instead of COVID being the competition applying the pressure, it's sort of a situational pressure where the, the competition is now the brick and mortar store. Right. And so just just to give you a, just a real simple example, um, you know, I, I didn't buy clothes online or I did specifically sunglasses. I didn't buy sunglasses online um, at all. Like I like to go in. I like to sit down. I like to try on sunglasses. It just never really, you know, if I liked the process of buying sunglasses, you know, there's I'm kind of a creature of habit. Um, I like to feel what they feel like. I just don't like it's it's one of those things. It's a very tactile experience for me. Um, and so that was the way that I preferred to buy sunglasses. But during COVID, I started, you know, I needed sunglasses. Uh, summertime was coming up last summer. Um, and so I started looking online. I started researching and um, I bought some sunglasses. And, you know, this is this is a great example. But, the, you know, it came in a nice box and it had a, it was a good experience. And it was sort of a nice like being able to open it and, and kind of try them on at home. And and they came with like a little kit and this little um you know, like a little message and stuff like that. And it was, it was, it was a nice experience. And it occurred to me that, you know, I, I may now change the way that I buy sunglasses, right? I'm, I'm sort of now, my preference isn't the brick and mortar preference anymore. 
Um, and so, so businesses have an opportunity while we're in this sort of flux area where people are, you know, maybe I'm gonna shop online, maybe I'm gonna go out in person, you know, they're, they're still open to this. Um, you know, you have an opportunity to develop relationships with customers where you can provide them a buying experience that is better than their buying experience or is at least as good as their buying experience that they prefer, which is the brick, you know, going in, whether you're selling clothes or, or whatever it is, you have an opportunity to create that buying experience. So if you don't do that, if you're just sending a box, if you're just sending stuff and it's, you know, it's impersonal and you're not creating that brand attachment, um, then I think you're, you're missing an opportunity. And, and right now specifically is, is the time to strike with irons hot. So that's, I think also something that that's going to be, um, why it's important that, that, that B's here to talk about those ideas today. So that's it. So that, that's sort of, uh, the way I'm going to set this up. And then, uh, I'm going to give the floor to B. She's going to kind of go through her slides here. Let me give you mouse control. Okay. Once you accept that, you should be good to go. Um, okay, yeah, I see it. Um, so <clears throat> I definitely agree with all of Jared's points, especially when it comes to um, pre and post sale. So we place so much attention on making sure that, you know, our websites convert and then our marketing campaigns are amazing and all of those things are important. But the post sale is the other half and it sometimes is neglected, which is really interesting to me because post sale covers fulfillment, so warehousing, picking, packing, it covers shipping and delivery, and um, it covers the unboxing experience, which is what I'm going to be talking about for this slide. So unboxings are one of the most effective ways to showcase your branding. And um, with unboxings come with, with the unboxing experience comes packaging, which is also overlooked for some reason. But what subscription box companies um, really do well is leveraging different packaging options to their advantage. And we can all take a page out of their book and do the same. So some examples of packaging include branded boxes, eco-friendly filler material, handwritten notes, promotional inserts, stickers. Um, the list goes on. And the really cool thing is that no two subscription boxes are the same. And you can mix and match whatever works for you, whatever you like, to create an experience that's truly unique and memorable to your customers. Um, so here we have Cat Lady Box, and they're one of our merchants, and we work with them to provide an elevated unboxing experience. And they always come up with things that are really fun. And what I really like about their style specifically is that, I don't know if this was intentional, but um, the crinkle paper that they use in this picture reminds me of yarn um, and like things that cats would like to play with. And also, you know, I think the box, it's, it's a cardboard box, but it has some flair to it. And it really, um, I think, hits a spot for the cat owners and the cats because then they can use the boxes like the cats can use the boxes <laughs> and the um, cat owners can use what's inside the box. So you can really um, elevate the experience as much as you like and, you know, um, be creative. So moving on, let's see if I got this right. Okay. <laughs> All right. So um, catering to customers' needs. So being on top of your e-commerce game is all about anticipating your customers' needs and making sure that those needs are consistently being met. So I have two examples of that. The first is the Dollar Shave Club. Um, we're probably all familiar with them. And what they do really well is um, they've managed to provide a service that's incredibly useful. 
and also covers a wide demographic because most people shave or many people do. And for most business owners, that's pretty much the dream. So to like have something that people like um, and use and have a lot of people liking and using that product or service. Um, the other example that's not here is basically, so I'm obsessed with granola bars. I don't know why, I think they're so good. And um, something I've always realized about granola bars is that they have nuts in them. And I always wondered, you know, people that have nut allergies have less options. Um, so I was really excited one day when I found out about this brand, not sponsored, but um, they're called Blake's Seed Based. And they have basically like, they have granola bars and like Rice Krispie treats and they don't have any nuts or eggs or dairy or like soy in them. So they're very allergy friendly. And I think that's another good example of a company that, um, and the owner has a lot of these allergies. So it's like, and it's an example of a company that kind of reflected a personal mission to find a solution within a market that and that solution applied to a lot of different people as well. So I think they they managed to do something similar where like, this is a problem, here's how we can address that problem. Um, so yeah, two good examples. And at the end of the day, it's I think one of the best pieces of advice is, is finding um, a solution that is easily digestible and easily understood to a problem that's common. And it doesn't have to be a problem like in a dramatic sense of the word, it can be an inconvenience, it can be something that can be improved, but basically assessing a need and fulfilling that need as best as you can. All right, so um, staying creative and innovative. So one thing that I have noticed about subscription boxes is that they're never boring. There's always a lot to unpack, literally, um, pun intended. <laughs> and um, I think that kind of isn't just because the, you know, subscription box like it's not just because subscription box businesses are super creative which they definitely are it's also because since e-commerce is so competitive keeping things interesting and exciting is pretty much the baseline like you kind of have to do something that's more than you know what is currently in the market um, but with that being said it's not always about shock value or trying to outdo everyone else or doing something crazy like you still have to keep your brands um, positioning and missioning mind as you um, try to engage customers and in fact um, most of the time what you'll see you'll basically see the same products but um, presented in new ways that are fun and fresh and exciting and one example of that is FabFitFun so beauty products have been around for like 7,000 years now which means basically like you know, the formulations have improved, but we still have the same things to work with. Like we still have eyeshadow, we still have eyeliner, foundation, like none of that has changed. Um, but what FabFitFun has done is they've carved out a niche um, of unique pieces and a unique experience um, to pretty much provide a customized solution to their customers. And that really sets them apart. So to kind of go into that a little bit deeper, um, they have, they give customers the ability to choose some of the products and to also have like mystery products. So, and that seems really small, but it's actually, I think it, it really adds, it's like a small detail, but it adds so much because, you know, you give, especially because beauty products are so personal, you know, you can, some things won't work for you. So it's good to have some control over what it is that you want, but then having like a customized yet surprise element really adds to the whole experience and makes it fun. Um, and it's something that people can look forward to. Um, okay, and then we have, oh, that was pretty quick. <laughs> we have surprising and delighting customers. So um, 
surprising and delighting customers is at the core of especially the post-sale experience and especially unboxing. So going the extra mile and really honing in and concentrating on perfecting little details, it might seem like a lot of extra work, but the reality is that it is very much worth it and your customers will appreciate it and remember what you've done and how you know how surprised and delighted they were to find out that you know their unboxing experience was a little more than they were expecting and that in turn prompts them to share with friends and family share on social media and um, communicate to the world at large or their own community how happy they were with their purchase and uh, with your branding and with the approach that they that you took um, with that whole experience um, so what subscription boxes excel at is this very thing. It's surprising and delighting customers. It's adding little details. It's going the extra mile. It's um, you know, including something that maybe was a little surprising, including a freebie, including a preview of next month's subscription box. And um, what that really ties back to is immersion and building added value every step of the way. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. But an immersive experience is really the goal here because you kind of want to keep customers engaged from as soon as they visit your website to the very end when they receive your box. And to keep them engaged, you do have to give them a little something more, a little more, bit more value, along with obviously quality products because you know without quality products, none of this is really possible. Uh, oop, there we go. Um, so, and oops. Speaking, speaking more on engaging your customers. Um, so every marketer knows that keeping customers engaged is kind of a fine balance because you want them to be interested um, in the products and what you're doing, but you also don't want them to feel pressured or like they're being sold to 100% of the time because no one really likes that. And it can get a little bit unpleasant if you're receiving like a million emails or you know, things like that. Um, so creating uh, an experience, an immersive experience is so important because of that reason. So from buying to, from browsing to buying to unboxing, um, a customer should never really feel like they're lacking um, and lacking three things basically. So the first is personalization. So um, even something as simple as like including a customer's name on an email instead of being like, hi there, I think that goes a long way. I think recommending products goes a long way. Um, they also shouldn't be lacking in resources, which I'll talk about in a second, as well as attention. So just making sure that your customers are cared for, that you're listening to them, that you're, you know, if they provide any feedback, you're responsive, all of that. Um, back to resources, um, that to me splits into two different things. So the first is um, maintaining an open line of communication with your customers. Um, and you'd actually be surprised how hard it is to get in touch with people sometimes. So <laughs> just having your contact information be visible um, and again, be responsive every step of the way that does really matter, as well as providing resources in the form of content marketing. So I'm a little bit biased because I am a content marketing specialist, but um, content marketing is one of the easiest ways to add value. Um, you can do a lot with it too. You can do email newsletters, you can do blog posts, you can do infographics, videos, social media posts, like the list goes on. And what's um, really cool about content marketing, what draws me to content marketing is that you're not really selling them directly. Like you're just really being helpful and you're providing resources. And then from there, your customer kind of develops a better relationship with your brand. Um, and the sweet spot really is 
being able to provide necessary information while still giving an option for customers to get these additional perks and bonuses in the forms of, you know, content marketing or maybe, you know, like announcements about possible sales that are happening, things like that. Um, and um, in regards to content marketing as well, sorry, back to that, <laughs> back to that a little bit. Um, it's really important to like, it kind of, again, like establish, like, um, make it so that they can opt out, but still give them like information that's relevant to their product. And you don't always have to talk specifically about your product. That's the thing too. You can talk about, for example, um, a while ago, I stumbled upon this website that they sold like apparel, but they had a really cool newsletter where they gave you like fashion tips and like, um, you know, top trends of fall, winter, summer, whatever. Um, and then from there, I mean, it's kind of not related to their product specifically, but it's related to the industry at large. And chances are, if a customer is buying a certain product that they're interested, that they're going to be interested in that industry. You know, if you're buying a shirt, you might, you know, want to know more about apparel. Um, so, you know, you don't have to specifically talk about your product. You can, you can branch out a little bit and still provide added value that ultimately benefits um, your business. So, and I think that covers it, Jared, on my end. Yeah, and I think, you know, and, and I was, as you were kind of going through your list and you were talking about those stuff, I, I think what's important for for merchants to realize is that this is these are universal principles that don't just apply to subscription boxes. I just think subscription boxes are one of those businesses where the, you know, the margins are pretty slim and the competition is pretty steep. I apologize, my dog's barking. Hold on. Talk about the new normal, hey. Um, but... Um, it's it's one of those areas where you know the principles that that you're talking about today really they apply to a lot of different merchants and even if you're not in retail there's a lot of these principles still apply um is 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 shipmunk is that is that your kind of bread and butter the the subscription box or is that what what, what percent of your business is subscription box versus just traditional like straight sale no um yeah you definitely brought up a good point this can be applied to any type of e-commerce business to be honest um we definitely we have a good amount of um, merchants that have subscription boxes. I don't know the exact percentage, um, but I would say we we do mostly like um, DSC commerce subscription boxes and also crowdfunding campaigns. And all of these tips can be applied universally, to be honest. Yeah, I think that's I think that's an important takeaway. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, great. So um, so we had some questions that were submitted. So let's go ahead and try to get through these. We'll see how many we can get through. Um, in the next like 10, 15 minutes. Um, the first person asked, any advice on growing a young drop shipping business with a low budget? Which is, you know, that's always that's always a great question when, when people are, um, you know, wanting to do big things with small budgets. But um, do, do you have any ideas on, on that? Yeah, absolutely. So I have two ideas. <laughs> the first is that um, some, actually, I mean, this is kind of a preventative bit of advice, but I've noticed um, a trend with dropshipping companies where they try to market to everyone. And when you market to everyone, you end up selling to no one. Um, so it's really important to hone in on a specific demographic because I think just because you you tend to have more options um, as a dropshipping company because you, you don't have to, you know, own the inventory. You can just, you know, dropship it. <laughs> so you can you have access to a variety of different products. And so I think people get a little bit like, um, too too excited about that and they end up offering you know shampoo along with like shoes along with like pet products it's just it's very confusing it sends a very mixed message to customers so make sure that you do have a demographic in mind 
Uh, and the next thing would be to find different ways to, to find ways to differentiate yourself from your competitors. Even though you don't have uh, full ownership of, you know, the manufacturing of the products and owning the inventory and the fulfillment, part of the fulfillment as well, you can still find ways to personalize the experience because you do have control over like customer service, marketing. So I think infusing your branding into everything as much as possible is a, is a great way to start and it's a great way to get more people interested in what you're doing. Yeah, I think that's right too. And the, the people that I've seen that have been the most successful with uh, drop shipping have done exactly what you said. They sort of focus in on an area, and then and then you know once you have a model that works, um, you know once you have a, a repeatable, scalable model where you've sort of focused in on on you know if not a specific product, just a just a, a small cluster of products, um, then then you can take that all the lessons that you learned, um, you know, without having any of the overhead from drop shipping. And then you could really just own the inventory and sort of start building out a brand. Um, the, the people that have been successful that, that I've talked to, you know, drop shipping is a great way to, to create a proof of concept, but the margins are really difficult. The delivery times are difficult. Um, so it's really not, you know, it's being touted as kind of a way to make a lot of money without a lot of mm -hmm. investment, but it, it really long-term it's not, it's not a, it's it's not a way that that I've seen a lot of people make a lot of money. So I'm sure that there are examples, but um, mm -hmm. but generally the, the 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 piece of advice that I would offer you is you know once you have it figured out, invest in some inventory, um, work with a company like Shipmunk to do the fulfillment for you, um, and th and then you're you're off to the races because then you have a scalable um, you know marketing sales strategy, and then um, you know you're owning your own products, so you're building that uh, brand loyalty, and um, and and that's where the real money is. Absolutely. Okay. Next person asked, uh, how can we increase win rates against illegitimate chargebacks? Um, well, I'm glad they said illegitimate chargebacks because um, it is very, very difficult to increase your win rates against legitimate chargebacks. Um, and that's that's one of the things too is that you know make sure that you you're you're able to identify the difference between an illegitimate and legitimate chargeback before you even begin, um, because you're you're not going to have success with, uh, um, you know, for example, trying to represent cases of actual criminal fraud. Um, the the opposite of that, though, is that there is a lot of cases of criminal fraud that, that sort of appears to be criminal fraud, um, but isn't. Um, and so, you know, working with a third party like Chargebacks 911, one of the benefits is that, you know, you, we, we don't rely primarily on reason codes to identify um, why chargebacks happen. So, um, you, you know, that's a great way to increase your net win rate. Um, as as far as you know, being able to to win your disputes, that's a really really case by case scenario. Um, and generally, we don't talk about. I mean, there's some kind of things that we do that are sort of like insider baseball that we we don't generally talk about on uh, webinars here. But I would say the pieces of advice that I, I usually give are one, you know, make sure that you're you have all your ducks in a row. Like the things that we talked about on this webinar, you know, make sure that if somebody wants to cancel or if somebody wants to um, um, you know, re, uh, return a product, make sure that you make it easy and possible for them to do that. You don't need to go out of your way and have like a no, you know, no questions asked uh, uh, return policy where you pay for the shipping six months to a year after they make a purchase. I mean, you don't need to go extreme, but you also have to make sure that you answer the phone or you answer their email in a timely fashion and you have clear return instructions that's easy to find in your website. If you don't do those things, then you're, you're going to have you, your your hands are not going to be completely clean, and so you're not going to have it's not going to be as easy for you to to represent those chargebacks. Um, and then the the second part of that, um, especially in the order of fulfillment, is make sure that your 
documenting everything, right? So make sure that you're documenting when they come to your website, what the IP address is, where that IP address is located. Make sure that all of the engagement that you have with them, whether through chat or through email or through a phone call are clearly documented and easy to access because those are the types of things that you need to include in your representment. So I'm sure if, if you've been in retail for a while and you've tried to represent chargebacks, um, delivery confirmation without a signature is not a very good piece of compelling evidence. Sometimes it'll be enough, but um, you know, just because the UPS driver left a box on somebody's doorstep doesn't mean that one, they received it or that um, what was in the box was was what you said it was. So, 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 you know, if they receive a product and you have like a online review or some way to encourage them to engage with you, then that's, that's another sort of additional piece of information that you can use when you uh, um, put your cases together. So um, those are kind of the two pieces of advice, you know, use your, your customer service. That's another reason why having customer service is a, a net benefit. It's not just to mitigate the, the impact of unhappy customers, right? So it's not just to deal with unhappy customers. It's also because if an unhappy customer can't get a hold of you, then they you also can't prove that they tried to, you know, that they were unhappy with the product, right? If somebody, if, if you send a pair of shoes to somebody and they don't like the color, they look sort of different than, than it is on the website, right? You, you probably have an obligation to take those shoes back, right? Um, if, uh, but but you have an obligation to answer the phone and sort of deal with that customer. If you if you don't do that, then um, you know they're going to co contact their bank and they're going to say, "I tried to return my shoes. They won't take my phone call. Whatever." Then you know you're going to be in a really bad position. Whereas if you take that phone call and you say, hey, "Yeah, you have to you have to uh, send it back," but as it said in the shipping or in in the terms of the service that you agreed to, you have to pay for your own shipping. For example, um, the fact that you had that conversation with them can be used as compelling evidence. Um, so anyway, so whatever, I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, but that's, that, those are the types of things that I would think about. Um, just make sure you're doing good business. At the end of the day, that's really what it's all about. <clears throat> uh, the next person asked, and this is, uh, this is right up your, um, alley B, what, what type of inserts do you recommend including, um, to, that sort of add to the unboxing experience and, um, that, that can help drive future sales? Um, so to add to the unboxing experience, um, I would not underestimate the power of a thank you note. Um, I shop at, um, usually like sometimes I'll go to Etsy and I'll do a little bit of shopping and um, the packaging, like the unboxing experience that I get from these smaller sellers is honestly phenomenal. And something they all do is they all have thank you notes. And so it, it's, some, it's so small, but like a please and thank you, it just goes such a long way and it makes the customer feel appreciated and valued. Um, and the other thing just to drive future sales and in general would be um, providing discount codes or promo codes and sneak peeks into future product launches or if you have a subscription box into like next month's subscription box. Um, so I would say those two things, thank you notes, uh, promotional inserts of any kind and like, you know, sneak peeks. Let's see, I actually have a, I actually have a, a story here. Um, it's an example, mm -hmm. I just thought of it, but it's, uh, it's probably the, one of the smartest marketing things I've ever seen. I um I bought a red leather jacket online. I don't know why. I think I saw somebody wearing one. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, it's it's sort of funny. It's I look like um, the bad guy in um, the original Karate Kid. So it's like got zippers <laughs> on it and stuff. It's a, but it's a it's a really cool jacket. It's, you know I I really like it. I get a lot of compliments on it. But when it came, it came with a it it wasn't a handwritten note. It wasn't a note or anything. But it was it was a note that was in the box, and it was from the jacket. And it said, I forget what it said, I'm gonna have to paraphrase, but it was basically the idea was, um, 
you know, the jacket said, I'm going to be your best friend. No matter what you get me wet, you treat me poorly. I'm going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to stay by your side. I'm going to keep you warm. It was like this, this pledge that the, the, the jacket made to me. And it was just, it was just, I don't know, for whatever reason, it really resonated with me. I, I mean, I showed it to all my friends. Um, and now at my house, we refer to that red jacket as my best friend. So if I'm looking for it, I'm like, Hey, have you seen my best friend? Um, and so that's an example of uh, the type of thing, you know, it's it really outside the box, but it's not hard to do. I mean, it's, you know, instead of having a tag on it that says, this is the size and make sure you wash carefully or whatever, whatever, you know, invest in doing some stuff, creating some, some, um, you know, uh, brand loyalty, creating some engagement, some, some, um, you know, some, some outside the box stuff like, uh, thank you notes are a great, a great example. It's not hard to do. It's hard to do at scale, but it's not, it's not impossible to do. And mm -hmm. um, it matters. That's really cool. <laughs> How to proceed in cases where acquirers don't allow you to represent the chargeback. Um, so this is a really, so you're, you're kind of, there's not much you can do. Look, if, so if your acquirer is rejecting it, they're, they're first of all, for, so, so if, if you're submitting a case, there's a lot of questions here. I don't know this person. I'm not sure if they're, you know, are they saying that the, the acquirer rejected the, the representment? Cause that's, that's first you have to get your acquirer to agree. And then the acquirer has to get the issuer to agree. Right. But if the acquirer doesn't think the issuer is going to agree, or, you know, you didn't do it according to whatever the rules are with the um, card schemes, or, or maybe the, your acquirer doesn't even know what the rules are with the card schemes. There's a, there's a, so many different variables there. If they're saying just in general, we're not going to, you know, you're not allowed to represent then you, you, you have to get a new acquirer. Um, smaller acquirers sometimes don't even have chargeback like teams that sort of deal with this stuff. You know what I mean? So it's it really depends. It's an acquirer by acquirer basis. All of them have different policies and procedures. You have to have a relationship with your acquirer um, such that that you know you understand what their expectations are and you know how to uh, um, you know provide that that information in the format that. Um, that they're gonna they're gonna accept and they're gonna work with. But but you know you, your your case needs to be it needs to only include the information that they need. You can't do a you know 30 page that's just all this like just garbage data. That's not gonna work. They don't have time to do that. Um, so it needs to be formatted properly. Um, we're actually in the process of putting together a new white paper or excuse me a guide that we're gonna release in a in a few weeks. That's gonna kind of go over some of the things that you should you need to include in your representment cases. Um, but I don't. It, it's a very broad question. I don't know how to answer it exactly, but um, I've, I've mumbled around it enough. So I'm going to move on to the last question. So I think we're going to make it. Um, <clears throat> this person asks, what are the benefits of subscription billing versus traditional sale in retail? Um, B, this is kind of your wheelhouse. You want to close us out with some thoughts here? Yeah, sure. So... <clears throat> um... If I, have, if I have traditional retail, you mean like brick and mortar or e-commerce? I actually feel like it's I can give an answer to that covers both of those scenarios. But um, I would say the subscription box, first of all, the subscription model isn't for everyone. Um, but it does come with some really clear advantages because it's so convenient for customers. Like it's 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 brainless. You know, you can you can just opt in and then you can receive, you know, shampoo every month, or you can opt in, you can get an amazing subscription box and you don't have to, you know, full of products that you want to, to have and you don't have to think about it. So um, it, it's, it's convenient, it's fun. And in turn, um, it 
kind of drives revenue to your business, right? Because it kind of forces customer retention if you think about it. Um, and that's the goal, I think, a lot of the time. So um, that automatic billing really contributes to that. Um, I would say, though, even if your products aren't, you know, like, for example, let's say that you sell shoes, maybe your customers won't need, you know, new shoes every month. Or maybe they, they they do. So you can do a shoe subscription box and you can do or you can do like accessories for, for shoes or, or things like that. So even if the subscription box box, um, sorry, even if a subscription model isn't 100 percent with what you're doing now, you can still pivot and you can also use different forms of e-commerce in tandem. So you don't really have to stick to like, oh, I just want to do subscription boxes. You can do, you know, regular quote unquote, D2C e-commerce and subscription boxes, and you can, you know, get something really good out of it. As long as you have, you know, the, a solid strategy and support, I think that's when you really would need to start thinking about outsourcing um, if you're doing a lot of things at once. Yeah, I, I, I think those are exactly all, all the right points. Um, you know, if, if it makes sense, subscription is, you know, it's so much better because you, you can anticipate sales. One of the things, even if you have a, really really effective scalable sort of new client acquisition strategy that you know you just put a hundred dollars in and you, you get two hundred dollars out you could just do that all day long um there's you know the, all of the the components of that that i've ever been involved in whether it's affiliate marketing or whether it's you know even just google adwords or whatever whatever's working today um you know there's a, like a pretty good chance that in six months it's not going to work as well just whatever it is, it, you know, maybe maybe six months is a, is a little bit short timeline, but but you know any type of scalable client acquisition uh, mechanism, I mean it it is it is not something that can be relied on. Whereas recurring billing, I mean if if you know what your turn rate is, I mean that's that's a model that you can predict out and you can scale behind and um, you know there, so there's 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 a lot of stability, a business stability and, and and reliability in that that doesn't exist almost anywhere else in business um, unless you have that recurring. And that's why a lot of companies are are moving towards it. You know that's why the software that I run is all a lot of it is uh, on on a subscription uh, model instead of a one-time purchase. Um, it's just it's just better. Um, you know in in a lot of ways. Um, but you have to have a product that makes sense. Um, so I think I think B's point is is accurate there. But um, so I think that's it. Um, if anybody, you know, if you have any additional questions, I'm gonna let's go all the way back up to the. I just want to put our email addresses up. So if you have any questions, uh, you can email me or uh, B anytime you want. Um, if either of us don't know the answer, I'm sure that we will do our due diligence and make sure to find somebody that does know the answer, and we will uh, um, get back to you um, with, you know, and help you out the best we can. So feel free to reach out to us if you have any questions about anything. Thank you so much for joining us, B. I hope everyone enjoyed uh, the webinar. Um, have a happy Thursday. We got one more day of work and then it's the weekend. Um, I'll, I'll keep in touch, B. All right, thank you for having me. Have a great day, everyone. All right, bye. bye guys.